I actually had this conversation with, with Camille about one of the webtoons that, that she and I, uh, well, I just binged it to catch up with where she's at. So some of the awkward encounters in this, in this webtoon feel like they were copied right out of the playbook from Neon Genesis Evangelion, where it's just oh, all like, no. hey, we're going to have this elaborate setup for how the main character is going to slip, fall, who grabbed the girl, throw her down, and it's going to be this awkward sexual tension moment. And they're both going to somehow enjoy it. And I was like, oh, it's so wrong. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, work. That's, so dumb. <laughs> that's not how real world works, people. This is not how the real this world works. This is why weebs have relationship problems <laughs> because they expect <laughs> these things. And in the rare instance where the real world conspires to create that kind of a moment, if you're the guy, well. you usually get slapped or hated for the for a, <laughs> yeah. for a very long time. Yep, exactly. You're like I did, it's totally a mistake, but you can't prove it because it was so elaborate that it might as well have been contrived. All right. Yeah. For me, it's like you know, I'll occasionally brush some girl's boob or something, but it's like, oh, sorry, and then that's that. You know, it's not some like, oh my gosh. I touched my boobs. Now I must marry him. This why is, are we not uh, recording this? I'm already. Recording <laughs> I don't know why you. I thought you were already recording. <laughs> oh, I was not yet recording. Uh, this is glorious blackmail material. Senpai, we're we're get married. <laughs> Along with the cliches, though, there are certain anime that do a fantastic job. Like uh, for the list that for the list I wrote. There are certain anime that do a wonderful job of either playing into the cliche or like setting it up and then wrecking it. Like I, I'm thinking, for instance, of Fire Force with Tamaki's uh, Lucky Letcher lore. Uh, it's like yeah. it's oh, yeah. like it's like it's so ridiculous that it's absolutely a joke. It's like rather than saying, "Yeah, I'm going to come up with these contrived awkward sexual moments," no, I'm going to create a character who is. The awkward sexual moment. <laughs> Here oh, you go, no. <laughs> and it's it and it's genuinely hilarious because there's no way you can justify it. There's no explanation for it, and all of the characters are so self-aware about it mm -hmm. that they're just all like, "Ah, stop it!" Like they're like, "How can we? How can we stop this power?" And there's only one character who can somehow avoid it, and he's a villain. <laughs> I don't remember what anime it is, but there is, oh, what's the, there's, there's one where he's like falling towards the girl and he's like, oh no, I'm going to touch the boob. And so he like grabs his hand and like moves it out of the way, but then he falls like, and just face plants it into her panties. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my what, gosh. What um, anime? I know I, that scene. You've got, <laughs> I, Oh, I know, I know the scene too, but I can't remember the name. Oh, I can't remember is, what anime uh, that's it's from. Gonna, it's gonna bug us for a while. I mean, anyway, um, let's get this episode started. Yeah, let's get yeah. the episode started. It is eight fifty-nine Arizona time, the one and true time that I am not currently living in, and this is a need for weed. Welcome to the Need for Weeb podcast, where we have a need for weeb. An otaku-themed podcast brought to you by the nerd asses at Camille's Harem. 
Today, what are we going to oh, talk yeah. about? Oh, we are going to talk about cliches that are dumb in anime and manga. I'm I'm already annoyed because that because it has to be talked about. I mean, people bring it on up, but we need to start create. We need to start having a good comprehensive list and actually explain why they're bad or why they are done poorly most of the time. Agreed. Yes, agreed. Very much so. Yes, there, there's a pit of anger already forming in my stomach thinking about these. You, you gave me this list earlier today, and as I read through <laughs> each of the different ones, and it's not a big list, but as I read through each of the different items on this list, I could feel my blood pressure rising. Oh, oh, some of these get me very angry. Yes. A lot of these... I'm I'm definitely not as like hot and bothered like you guys are with this list, but definitely a lot of them are just like I've come to expect this with anime, and so I've stopped caring <laughs> about them just altogether. I'm just like, oh, you know, it's anime. It happens. It's you obnoxious, be, but it happens. <laughs> you can only be ambivalent for so long, and then it gets grating. <laughs> That's true. I'm definitely I'm. I'm definitely the most novice out of out of the three of us here when it comes to anime. One of the things that drives me nuts about it is at one point in the history of anime, these things weren't cliche. They were a brand new thing. They were fresh. Mm -hmm. They were new. And they were, I mean, more often than not, were used correctly. And so that's what part of the reason I really yeah. like going and watching older like 80s and 90s anime is because I can see these tropes that I see nowadays and see how they were originally introduced, how they originally intended to be used. And then yeah. I watch stuff nowadays and it disappoints me because they're overusing it and aren't putting any thought into its actual use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a large part of like what makes a trope a trope is the fact that it's like, not so much that it's overused, but to, that it's used in a way that it's just like, oh, you already know what this is. So we're not even going to bother putting time and effort into it. And that's, that's like, that's what makes a trope bad. Like, because you can have stories that are filled to the brim with tropes, but still like give the tropes proper time to develop. For example, uh, Baki Monogatari. Hello, that entire show is about like pretty much tropes. <laughs> like everything in that show is pretty much a trope. But, like, the author sets it up to a way that feels natural in the story instead of just being like, oh, you want you want the accidental boob grab? Okay, here you go. You know. And, let, and let's actually, and let's jump on that one right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, oh, is that the, our first lot, one? We're, we're going with a big yes. one. Oh, yes, yeah. We're going, we're, yeah, we're going, yeah, we're going to start off big right here because we got to hold the audience for this right here. The over-the-top elaborate boob grab in anime. It is dumb. It is awful. And I blame Neon Genesis Evangelion. I mean, there's been plenty of anime that have done lewd scenes before before Evangelion showed up on the scene. I mean, you can go back and you can see some really dark 80s and 90s anime that, that, that do this kind of stuff. But Evangelion kind of made it mainstream with just this elaborate setup uh, for every single one of the awkward sexual encounters. And that was intentional because the show is trying to put you into that awkward feeling mm -hmm. of early adolescence. 
And, and so that's why it takes its care and its time to just set up these elaborate, honestly dumb sexual assault moments. Uh, but because it became so popular, people are just like, oh, that's what the kids like. So boob grab here, boob grab there. A guy falling from the sky, trying to avoid falling into the voluptuous breasts of this lady and then still falling into her skirt. At a certain point, you can just laugh at it. But when it gets done just so often, it begins to get uncomfortable. And then it just gets downright aggravating because there's no substance to it. Right. It's just played yeah. up for cheap, awkward laughs. I mean, and that's kind of what ends up happening when you try to set up a scene that has real no like doesn't add to the actual story and is super contrived which takes well especially in anime it it takes time to animate that that's money oh, yeah. that could be spent elsewhere and it's disappointing nowadays when it gets used and a lot of the time back then yeah it, it was overused back then too i can't deny uh -huh. that I'm going to throw an example. Like, yeah, this is this is going to be subjective. I'm going to admit that. But from season one of ReZero, when Subaru is leading the charge against the uh, against the giant whale of gluttony, and it's just it's such an amazing climactic moment. Like things are just going crazy. People are literally flying all over the place. Subaru plummets and falls right into Rem's chest. The, That's the gotta hurt. There's not much there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's be honest there for for a little bit. I mean, Rem's best face girl, first but, into uh... the ground. <laughs> oh, ow! Not, not much different. <laughs> right into oh, a plane. Ow. Oof, ow! You you are you are getting jumped by some by some listener after this episode. <laughs> You're uh... welcome. Let's hear your fury. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> but but here's the thing: is the way that she reacts in the translation. She says, "Thanks for the treat." And like, meanwhile, people are dying around them. I'm just all like, "You've got to be kidding!" It's a little it's like, bit tone that, deaf. That was that was not the place for this. Like, had this been at some other moment of fighting mobbies, maybe you could have pulled this one off. But this was totally done to throw in an awkward laugh to help lighten up an incredibly tense moment, and it just yeah. does not work. And it's just one of those moments. As I said, like they know that they're playing it up for cheap laughs. And in a tense moment like that, I personally don't want the levity. But if you're going to give me the levity, give me substance, not that cheap. Thanks for the treat. Right. Yeah. I yeah, exactly. And that that really is kind of more so a conversation about like comedic timing for like uh, the comedic relief or like timing for I should say timing for the comedic relief. That's really what that kind of conversation fits into. But yeah, no, I agree with you there. Like if you're going to do that comedic relief, have it either be well-timed or be something with actual substance to it when it's a moment this huge and important and tense. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we could go into more detail, but let, let, let's to not make this episode too long. Let's jump on to another. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> oh no he said we are pretty good I'm for right. that one Lars <laughs> <laughs> you see now that's good comedic timing okay this is one that I definitely want to hear your thoughts and opinions on there are times where I like it and then there are times where I hate it explaining your amazing technique to the enemy this goes for both heroes and villains 
I hate this always unless it is from the point of view of somebody who is not currently fighting. Oh, do explain. When you're in a fight, as as a man who has thrown up some fisticuffs from a time or two, when you're in a fight, you don't like sit there and be like, ha did you see the punch I just gave you? I did it directly <laughs> to your spleen so that I knew it would hurt more. Nobody does that. <laughs> now, if it's from like, like somebody who is watching like the sports festival in my hero academia you know and they're like wow look at what uraraka is doing she's like gathering all the stuff on the ground and sending it towards him ah babaku goes no fool he knows what he's you know like that works because it's like oh they're giving us commentary but it's not like like i said it just doesn't make sense when it's like person to person like this is my final form. You will see me at my absolute best. I have three <laughs> claws instead of two for extra cutting. It's like, why are you saying all this? Just kill him already. <laughs> I think they're missing some of what they could be using some of their conversations for if they are going to have a conversation in the middle of a fight. I feel we're losing a sense of immersion as the author tries to throw in some exposition explaining how the powers work, but we're also mm -hmm. missing some like character progression and watching the two characters not only physically fight against each other, but also like verbally and mentally match wins mm. as they're going through this fight. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking as someone who loves writing fighting scenes, like, Unless you have taken the time beforehand to set up how a certain power or a certain move works, you have to insert at some point some of the technicalities of what's going on. Otherwise, it just feels like it's coming out of nowhere, and then it feels cheap to the audience. So there has to at least be some sort of explanation. The problem is, is that within anime, they don't give the explanations ahead of time because it's meant to be a reveal or a twist or a power-up. Yeah. To help one side overcome the other. And that's then when the explanations come in. And it, it just, yeah, it, it takes you out of the moment. There are some times, though, that I do like this. But the problem is, is that because they work for some people, everyone thinks that they'll work. But some of my examples of where I think that this cliche actually works out. For one, looking at, looking at a series like Yu-Gi-Oh! Where they're playing a card game that you don't know. So of course yeah. they have to explain what certain cards are doing, except for, for the 50th time, my pot of greed card. It allows me to pull two cards. We know already this is the 50th time <laughs> that you have used this card. But it, but for like the first time, if it's like, I now summon the glass coffin, you're like, okay, what's the glass coffin? Then it's nice to have an explanation. Another yeah. time where I think it works out really well is, for instance, when Ichigo is about to just totally wreck Aizen in their final fight that he Ichigo it's good because he gives just a very brief description of what he's about to do to Aizen and then he just does it and it does yeah. it where he takes on his final form and he then just says when I use this I will use up all of my soul reaper powers that's what final means and then he just slices him in half and it's just like oh like that. Like, like that's a moment where it's like it gives emphasis to what's about to happen it gives you the weight of what ichigo's final move is and like that's done really well but just because it works out in that one instance doesn't mean that for every power up this is how my power works yeah i feel like when it comes to power ups like that i feel like when you just kind of 
give the character a random power up in the middle of a fight, like without building into it, it's lazy writing because what you should be doing is setting up what the character's powers are. But then the twist of it is how they are actually using those powers, you know, that are already pre-established, like in new and unique ways. Like going back to My Hero Academia, it's like, oh, we know Bakugo's got boom boom hands but like he's got sweaty hands he's got sweaty boom boom hands but like the way he uses that those sweaty boom boom hands hands hams he's got hams now (laughs) steamed hams (laughs) uh the way he uses those steamed hams throughout the rest of his like adventure that never changes he never gets another power he just learns how to use those powers differently no 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 don't you remember the most recent movie, though? Don't get me started. <laughs> no, no, don't none get of that. Me okay, started. okay. So no, none of that now. I actually think well, this that, is a, that's saved for another episode, right? I actually <laughs> think this is a great segue into our next aggravating cliche, which is the overusing the power of friendships. Yes, to like power <laughs> oh. up your character in a fight. Because you go from like, Fairy tale. <laughs> them like over explaining everything they do, and then even that's not enough fighting against this super big baddie. And the they have to be. got an anime on my side. Right. They, <laughs> and friendship. <laughs> they end up relying on their bonds, their friendships. And I'm like, it's a great motivating force. But that would have already been there at the start. It's not going to all of a sudden come to you in the middle of this fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, oh, I am so over all of the in the middle of the fight speeches of because I must protect my friends, because I have people I'm fighting for, because my friends believe in me, because my friends stand by me, I will now somehow pull out the victory. It's like, no, no, enough. There are some shows out there that do this, but I want to see more of them where it's just like, oh, that's really great. You have friends and then just blast away the protagonist or right there on the spot, murder one of the friends. It's like what it's like. Oh, well, uh, so much for that, I guess. That got dark. quick. It did get dark quick, but like that's something that I want to see that just it doesn't come around often enough. And I get that there's there's this mentality of you, that you need to belong. That's one of the cultural things that comes along with anime is that there's the sense that you need to belong somewhere. If you have a character that's kind of out by themselves, the angsty loner protagonist, they need to, by the end of the story, have some place to belong, a group of friends to be around. That's usually how it goes. It goes very few stories are supposed to end with someone being the loner. And so I get that that's what the story's going for, but it feels so cheap that somehow the power of friendship is just going to grant this deus ex machina ability or power up or whatever to somehow just overcome all the odds. Because, I mean, if that's the way that it worked, then the most popular guy in school should be like the most ripped guy in school rather than the charismatic skinny wimp yeah i feel like i don't know like i this is one that i both like and dislike just like you with that last one because it's like i do think that like the power of belonging the power of friendship is powerful but like not enough it's like one of those things where it's like 
yeah, my friends helped me train, therefore I'm stronger now. But it's not like, oh, I'm so strong because I have friends. You know, it's, it's like your friends can help you get to be the best person you are. But that doesn't necessarily make your... How am I trying to say this? I don't know. <laughs> I, do you get what I'm trying to say, though? It's yeah. not coming across well. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's important to have friendship, but friendship doesn't... Friendship in and of itself doesn't make you better it's what you do with your friends it's one of, it's one of the reasons why stories that where you see actual teamwork work out so well a great example is demon slayer yes demon yeah. slayer has one of the best uses of friendship within a story where it's not like i now have a power up because i because i have the power of friends no you got a power up because you know a certain technique instead Friendship allows them to coordinate their attacks. It's one thing I love about Demon Slayers that there's none of this wimpy, I must fight you one-on-one. -on -one. No, we're going to have like five guys tackle this one demon in like an epic brawl because that's what you got to do. If you fought the, fight them one-on-one, -on -one, you're going to get overpowered and die because demons are just that strong. Yep. Yes. Yep, very very well put. Should we move on to our next? I think so. Yeah. I think our next one after this talk has to be our angsty protagonist. <laughs> yes. There's, there's so much to say about that one. Oh my goodness. There's so it's much to say. Yeah. There's so much to say, yet I don't know what to say. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm going to say as far as angsty protagonist. Once again, this is where like I understand where it comes from, but it... But it's now become so overused. The idea of the angsty protagonist, basically they're supposed to be a loner. And once again, it comes all down to that they're going to find friends, they're going to find a place to belong, and that we're going to see a transformation of the character. And that's one of the easiest things that you can do. It helps you create a very visible character arc without needing a whole lot of nuance. Because if you have an angsty loner, if they then become a cheery with tons of friends by the end it's very easy to see how they've changed whereas instead yeah. like if you had more nuanced characters it requires a more nuanced storytelling and not everyone can deliver that very well so like i get it but the fact of the matter is that's just been used so often that when we talk about angsty protagonists what we're really talking about are bland protagonists yeah. Because yeah, they have random. no other starting point than angsty loner. And that's what's <laughs> dumb is because it essentially means that you can't do any other hero. And that means that we're stuck to one hero's journey rather than a diversity of hero's journeys. The one thing that really gets me going about the angsty protagonist, because like there's times in which like they do an angsty protagonist really well. Or, like, an angsty character really well. Noragami's Yukine is a great example of, like, it makes sense that he's angsty. He's 13 years old and he's dead. Of course he's angsty. Yes. <laughs> but like, oh, you look stu at, stuck in preview bestance for all eternity. How horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you look at, you know, somebody like Kirito is like, I, I grew up in a house that, or I don't even know if this applies to Kirito, but just bear with me here. I grew up in a house that has family and I'm loved pro proficient proficiently I, my life is so hard <laughs> don't you just i'm just angry at everything because i have such a good life yeah why are you angsty 
Because you don't know what it's like to be the Black Swordsman. Shut up, Kirito. You haven't met Guts. <laughs> That's the real Black Swordsman. <laughs> no, you're freaking not. I love that part of uh, Gigguk's episode, the Sword Art Online uh, within five minutes or whatever it is, where it's like, I'm the Black Swordsman. And then Gut comes out and he's like, no, you're freaking not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, see, Guts is a character who can be angsty. But that is also because there is so, like, I, okay, this is why I think one of the reasons why people go for the angsty character. You've got Guts, the OG Black Swordsman. Oh, what a chance. He is an he is an angsty character because the guy was born from a woman who was being, she was dying as she gave birth to him because she's being hung from a tree. He is then raised by an insane woman and her mercenary husband who, when the wife then dies, the mercenary husband routinely beats Guts and also sells him to another guy uh, for one night. Guts has been betrayed by just about everyone that he's ever known. So it's like he is coming from a horrible place, which is then why in the Golden Age arc, when we get to see him growing alongside the band of the Hawk, like we're just like, oh my gosh, there's there's a chance for redemption for Guts. But then we still know in the back of our head that the eclipse is coming. The eclipse is awful, murders so many people. Unspeakable things are happening. So he, so he falls once again into just being this angsty ball of revenge and then yet again he has to go through another journey of discovering himself living for himself and finding people who once again hold meaning in his life and there's so much nuance to his journey of like trying to save children and children rejecting him which is something that hurts him a whole lot being responsible for the murder of innocent people which also affects him like these are all things that add to him being a character who embodies german angst like the original angst which is like terror and that's all great stuff. And everyone's just like, wow, this is such a poignant story. I should do the same without doing the legwork to make such a dark, meaningful story. Yeah, I think Sorry that's the mini rant. what they <laughs> I think that's what they always end up missing is that legwork. They don't put enough effort into defining the character and who they are before just going out and pronouncing that the character's your just very angsty and very dark and brooding and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I always want to know why, how, what's going on here. I need, I need to know more than just, Oh, look at this angsty boy. Angsty yeah. boys. Those angsty boys. Mm -mm. Shall we move on to the next one? Yeah. Let's move on. Okay. Should we do harem at first sight? Harem at first hey, sight. Explain to me what you mean by this, Lars, because <laughs> yeah, I think I'm kind of getting confusing. what you're getting at, but it's it's a little okay. bit vague. A good example of harem at first sight, let's go into Don Machi, which I will admit is a guilty pleasure of mine. I, <laughs> I actually do enjoy watching it, but I hate the harem aspect, which is it's such a contradiction to say because the harem is what makes the anime. In any yeah. case... The, this idea that guys or girls are going to fall in love with the central harem protagonist simply because the, the protagonist has entered into their lives. It's like, yeah. it's like, ha, you are a cute guy or a cute girl. You are now in my harem. Okay, girl acquired. Oh, level up. Like, <laughs> that, is, that is how so many harem stories go. It's just all like, it's like these two would look cute together as a couple, so I we're just gonna add them to the harem. Harem at first sight. You're cute, you belong to my harem. And that 
runs totally against other harem stories that pull it off so well mm-hmm. where the protagonist whether it be male or female happens to have meaningful relationships with everyone else in the harem that begin in unique and interesting or fun ways rather than just like ha you're cute welcome to my harem you mean that's not how it works <laughs> that's not how it works I damn know. it and i know uh lars and nate you've talked about this before but it, it's very much you get something like that and it doesn't matter what the character is it's just collecting the different types you got to get all the different pokemon together in yeah. one place and it's the same got the two tundere, <laughs> you got the tsundere you got the lollicon you got the the childhood yandere. friend you got the yandere you got i'm i'm sure there's 12 more that i'm not thinking of yes about <laughs> yeah We've got first girl. We've got childhood friends. There you go. Uh, yeah, you've got you've got the Sundere, You got the Yandere, You got the Wally. Um, uh, there's so many other rays. <laughs> the teacher. Oh the the teacher. The, the sister. Uh, yeah, but the why? older sister. Why the sister? <laughs> the stepsister. Or the cousin. Or the hot. You know, that that's when you that's when you know that's when you know that a harem anime is trying to be adult when it's like we have the hot cousin. And you're just like, oh no, oh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> which, which that, like, this makes this is another reason why Sword Art Online is garbage, because Kirito's sister is also his cousin. Double whammy. It's <laughs> all like, oh, he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. No, <laughs> I don't oh, want no. a piece of that cake. <laughs> oh yeah, see, that's just. Uh, harem at first sight i hate it when it's just like oh you look cute so i'm going to collect you and the thing is this is that it's it's such an easy mentality to buy into because we've talked about this before there's that shipping culture within a fan base and creators understand this and so it's very easy to play into these whole into these whole shipping dynamics because that's just what people want i was pitching uh i was pitching one of my books to a bunch of teenagers and half of them wanted to know about the ships and i'm like i am telling a story about like going to other universes hidden potential epic battles and yes there is some romance but like that's kind of a side plot thing and uh, you guys want to know the ships okay give me the <laughs> ships Lars. i need that narmina x andrew Ah, oh, no! No! <laughs> no! Oh, That's no. going to make sense this, to none of the listeners until they just, actually have a chance to pick up your book. This just got oh, no. very personal for Lars, just just so the listeners are aware. <laughs> I'm pretty oh, sure that is Harry. the most possible toxic relationship in your story, Lars. No. No. And, uh, Gary X anyone. Oh, no! I didn't even think <laughs> about Gary! <laughs> it's because we don't want to think about Gary. Gary I've for, brought for him you, out of my to, memory. For you, dear listeners, I know you're right now totally lost. I created one of the worst characters of all time, and his name is Gary. And what makes him absolutely the worst is that everyone knows a Gary. Unfortunately. Lars, I'm not just like forgiven uh, you for creating Gary. <laughs> I haven't forgiven myself. Oh, it hurts so much to okay. write his scenes. Okay, we've we got, we got to move on. We've gotten distracted here. 
<laughs> so let's move on to our last one, which is speed is the greatest power. Okay. Oh, this bugs me so much. Okay. Here's the thing. If your character ha if your character's power is based in speed, then that is totally fine. What I absolutely despise though is when you see these characters and it's just like how do you measure how strong they are on the scale of what makes a great character? It's speed. And so many characters it always comes back down to speed. One of the things that bugged me to no end was that the climax for Fire Force season 1 came down to a battle of speed, which I was like, wait a second, that that doesn't quite work because Shinra is all about his kicking ability with his demon flame, and it's all about how he can be, how he can get creative with his ability that, that he has. And that's something I really liked. And so when it's like, no, the ultimate form of your fire is just to make you run faster than the speed of light, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No, no. That is, yeah. like, why? That does not fit with the power sets. And then, I mean, like, for instance, when you look at something for like Naruto, it makes sense that there's this whole speed factor because they're ninja and all these different techniques are based on how fast you can throw them out. I totally get that. But when you look at, like, the ultimate power moves, they're all about energy. And that's one of those cool things. But yet they still just talk about how fast they can move. And it's like, wait a second, why are you talking about amazing speed when we've got like giant nine tail fox and like uh, whatever it is that Sasuke has the the weird samurai thing that he can summon and like that's way cooler than just being able to run fast and that's one of the reasons why I like something like One Punch Man where Saitama is insanely fast but what makes that speed terrifying is the fact that One Punch will just obliterate whatever is coming his way and, and so it's like his speed is complemented by his insane strength and by all of his other ridiculous abilities. And that and that's cool. That's interesting. It's balanced. But just super speed being the ultimate best of whatever it is that you have. No, it's overdone. I think and this is and I know I'm rambling a little bit right here, but I think one of the things that made it popular was Vash the Stamp from Trigun, because mm. oh, what yeah. makes him such a great crack shot is that he's able to calculate within a, within a fraction of a second all the trajectories of his bullets and that he can then move just that fast with his body. And it's a cool concept. And I think people are like, wow, that's really awesome. I'm also going to make my character's ultimate move super speed. And it's like, no, please, no. Yeah, I feel like it's it kind of goes back to like the setting up your character's abilities before time again um because it's like obviously you look at the real world like a small nimble and quick spider will outclass most bigger spiders or whatever if it's on like a, a brawl or whatever like a spider to spider brawl or sometimes like a spider will beat a scorpion in a, a tussle you know you you see that a lot in the real world but it's like mm -hmm. those those but they also have an amazing sack of venom that they can use. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think a lot of people make that mistake, especially when they're looking, I mean, kind of getting out of anime for a sec. But you look at, like, Spider-Man, everybody seems to think it's his, like, his speed and reaction time that wins everything for him. But then 
no, he's actually really strong. He's super smart and mm-hmm. and he can react in time. But it's really that brain of his that wins the battles for him, not the actual speed. Yeah. And I think that actually exactly. applies to Vash's Stampede. He can think that fast. That's how he wins. Not the fact that he can move that fast. It's he can think it through and then come up with an option that'll let him win that quick. And it's not necessarily the super exactly. speed in that regard. It's the mind. I envision fights as, like, especially if I'm writing them, I envision them as, like, Smash Brothers characters. Like, what makes Ganondorf so much different than Pichu is the fact that Pichu is small and nimble and quick, but doesn't have, like, okay, actually, Pichu does have some pretty great kill options, but, like, Ganondorf is all just slam him. And it's like, if he hits one, if he gets one good hit on you, you're pretty much toast, especially if you're Pichu. So it's like, there has to be a balance in order to create tension. But if there's like, this analogy has gone way off, way off track, but like, (laughs) I think you understand what I'm getting at. But it's like, Mm -hmm. so it's like, you know, your characters need to be either quick and nimble or like powerful. Like if you do both, there needs to be a balance to it. Otherwise you're not going to have, you're not not going to have have attention. Yeah. Thank you. And to come back to, and I want to actually come back to Fire Force because, as I said, like the the climax of Fire Force season one just irked me because of the whole like, oh, I can now do super speed thing, which is why I like how Fire Force season two follows it up with Shinra's first real big fight against a guy who it doesn't matter how fast he moves. The guy is like a mountain. It's nearly impossible to move him. And so speed doesn't matter anymore. And it's great then because Shinra once again has to then go back to how can I utilize my flames? What kind of techniques can I use? Um, Leverage, physics. And we get to see him be smart and really utilize all of his powers just to knock this guy over once because he's such a rock. That's cool to see. That's a that builds up that tension that makes the action interesting But when it's just super speed versus super speed or super speed beats everything else, it just it feels like a cop out. It'd be the same as if like, oh, my psychic power can just crush anything. And we just don't see psychic powers used as often outside of mob psycho as we see super speed used in just about every other anime. Yeah. Intellect trumps all else, not speed. Mm -hmm. And so if if you can use speed and intellect that gives you a huge leg up, but just speed itself does not a hero make. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wise words. On to the next okay. one. Uh, that was the <laughs> last one since we technically put one-on-one fights and. Oh, and overpower or. Uh, yeah. yeah. We kind of already touched on that. And like the power yeah, of friendship. I mean... We kind of bundled those together when we talked about Demon Slayer. Yeah. So yeah. One, one-on-one fights. I mean, yeah. It... Take it or leave it. I I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I've got I, one I, I last. Like, one. I like I like anime where they can, where they work together. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah. I got one last one for you guys, and this is a very specific one, and this is one that I hate, despite the fact that two of my all time favorite animes do this. The immortal character who is also a lolly. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Not that. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's like being dead and being thirteen. <laughs> yes. It's like, yes, Yukine is technically like 45 years old or something like that. But no, he's actually 12. Oh, well, you whoa, got... spoilers, spoilers. Oh, yeah. That, I'm, uh... I'm not that far into Noragami. Oops. 
Whoopsies! Redact that last bit. <laughs> okay, but no, you're right. Okay, like, uh, Baki Monogatari. She's yes. she looks like she's twelve, but she's actually five hundred plus years old, almost six hundred. I think Shinobu. Shinobu, yeah. Yeah. Hollow looks like a young fair maiden, which depending on she's actually old enough to be old enough, so she's not actually a lolly, but. And so that that's one of those instances in which it works. And what works about Bakimono and why it doesn't bother me is because there's no sexual tension between them, usually. <laughs> but it's mean, like, this is Bakimono. That could be switched around anytime. There's always sexual tension between everybody. But, like, there's no, like, serious sexual tension, I should say. Sure, there might be a little bit of a teasing, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. It, and then... And then, and then we've got something along the lines of like a certain magical index where the teacher uh, looks like she's six years old, and it's like, oh come on! That one's kind of funny though, because it's just kind of surreal. Like you get into her house and she's just got like beer and beer cans. cigarettes and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, Kamoi Sensei, are you all right? Yeah, yeah. When you get to that part, it gets better. But before that, I was just all like, why? Why is this a thing? Why? (laughs) It's kind of ironic because I actually have an entire race of characters within my own book that I'm writing, which falls into this category. But none of them are sexualized, so I think it's okay. Don't sexualize (laughs) the lollies. It's gross and highly illegal. (laughs) Don't loot the lollies. Don't loot the lollies. This is one of those weird fetishes. I'm just like, uh, no, I, I no. cannot, I cannot get behind it. And it's just like they're immortal, so therefore it's okay because they are well beyond age. It's like, no, no it's they're still, still underdeveloped. Hello. If you, if you have to come up with a way to justify that, that's that's not right. Here's yeah. here's a justification that's completely, completely okay. Actually, this isn't even a justification. It's just the reality of the fact. Hachikuji in in Sokuwari Monogatari, she she's fully aged and she's amazing and she is top tier triple S waifu. True, the rest of the show she's actually ten years old, but not not now, not not at that point. So it's okay. I'm getting fired up and I'm done. <laughs> well, uh, I mean this this is going to tread almost into spoiler territory, so I don't want to like get too deep into it. But uh, from Funny Girl Sam. Oh crap! Now, now her name is now, now her name is evading me. The girl who's uh, flip flops between Shoko. How she flip flops between being basically a young adult to being like twelve years old. Yeah, uh, this is like one of those instances where, like, what makes the interest in the lolly actually something that feels like more meaningful and and whatnot is because there is a mystery behind it. It's very clear that Sakata does not have some sort of romantic feeling for her when twelve years old. The the girl that the girl that he cared for at one point is the older version, and the mystery is figuring out why we're getting two different versions of her. And so, like that's right. one of those instances where you're just like, okay, like like the the lolly fascination, like if you can even call it that, does now have a purpose because it's serving yeah. some serving the greater narrative it's not yeah. just there to fix some sort of weird fantasy or fetish exactly so it, it's not there to be fetishized it's not there 
sure, there's a lolly character, but they're not being sexualized in any sort of way. Like, yes, he he is interested, not sexually, he is romantically <laughs> interested in the older version of this girl. Therefore, that is kind of somewhat translated down to the younger one. Not that he ever acts upon that, but he's like, this is the girl that I like, but she's younger now. What the poop? What's happening here? <laughs> you know, and so it, like it works really well because there's no lolly fascination anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've exhausted myself talking about this. Let's move on. <laughs> Scott, you got any last uh, aggravating cliches that you want to throw onto this burning heap? No, I think we covered about all of them, <laughs> at least for now. I mean, I've got—I mean, I've got a whole lot more, but that—that—that'll uh, that, that'll be for another time. <laughs> we can save them for another episode, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess we'll just go into the outro then. Yep. Thanks for listening here to the Need for We podcast. If you liked it. Uh, I'm happy because that means we did a good job. If you didn't like it, I'm sad. <laughs> Either way, share it if you liked it or not, because that would also. <laughs> wow. If you Thank hated you it, share it with your enemy or share it with people so that they can hear it and be angered too. But if you liked it, share it with your enemies anyway. <laughs> Regardless, if you want to join in on the conversation, if you have anime tropes that you hate, send them our way. We're on Twitter, uh, but the best place to catch us is Reddit on our subreddit, r slash Camille's Harem. That's going to be the best place to reach us, and we're always going to be there to, to write back to you, our special little listeners. I don't know why I just stroked the snowball when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> the snowball is the name of my microphone in case you were wondering so that just to give you some context there <laughs> uh we're also you on youtube oh yes we're on youtube as well where you can find all sorts of wonderful and meaningful discussions and rants and raves uh as well as clips from all of our different everythings because we got our fingers in a lot of different cookie jars and with that, I is there anything I missed? Probably. No, yeah, we're all good. good. We're pretty much good. Okay. Uh, sayonara, Okasan. Sayasumi. <laughs>
beautiful. The artwork is just stunning. The artist's name is Asuka Konishi, and she does some other great, great stuff. But this is probably my favorite thing she's done. So it's known as Haru no Noroi, or translates into Curse of Spring. And you've got three main characters in this story. It's kind of a bittersweet romance. Kind of end up asking all sorts of questions as you get into it. So there's three characters. You've got Haru, you've got Natsumi, and then you have Togo. Haru and Natsumi, they're twin sisters. And Haru's definitely more your, like, normal, everyday pretty much perfect girl but she's very normal and togo seems to fit well with her he's this rich guy very well mannered but every time he sees hadu's sister he's he's intrigued because natsumi she's not perfect she's a mess she's all over the place and it just succeeds in intriguing togo even though he's hadu's fiance but that gets even more complicated when Hadu ends up dying of cancer and Natsumi and Togo end up in a relationship together, even though they feel guilty because of the previous relationship between Hadu and Togo. And you end up like having these odd like questions they end up having to ask themselves. They're like, do I actually like this guy or is this just this contract we're, that we're trying to fulfill? And oh, it is beautifully done. And you just got to sit down and read through it because it it just left me stunned. And I just kind of had to stop and think for a while after reading through that one. So that one's my recommendation. So that recommendation, did that recommendation wreck your bits? It it kind of (laughs) did. It wrecked your bits. My eye bits. Your eye bits. What about your ear bits? What about your ball bits? Please stop. Did they wreck your balls? (laughs) Your eyeballs? Yes, it wrecked my eyeballs. <laughs> Your balls. Nay, I was perfectly serious there, and then you come in with untimely comedic relief, and it's not helping. Did I ever tell you about the time I got in trouble at work for saying, Ah, my balls! <laughs> I, Probably. I, uh, I got something in my eyes, and naturally I was just like, Ah, my balls! As loud as I could in the middle of Barnes and Noble. And my at the time manager was like, Nathan, do you ever think before you say stuff? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> All right. And with that, we bid you adieu. Have a wonderful night. And this is for Weep. Go wreck some bits. <laughs>